Welcome, listeners. Punk theology. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever your worldview. This is episode number five. This, this is the Punk Theology Podcast. And you're listening to season four. Punktheology.net is the URL, the internet address for this here podcast. Big thanks to Kristen and Carlton for being our patron sinner saints, helping financially to keep the Punk Theology podcast alive. As we are not going to advertise a bunch of commercial garbage for five, ten minutes on this show. You're you're welcome. No, you're not gonna hear a bunch of ads and how you should uh, put in promo code Punk Theology. You'll never hear that on this show. So if you would like to join our rebellion against promo codes and pr- commercial ad static, um, PunkTheology.net or Patreon uh, slash Punk Theology. But there's a link uh, on the PunkTheology.net website. That's where there's a link to our patron or Patreon page to help uh, financially keep this thing alive. Keep it going as a patron or Patreon center saint. All right. Co-producer. We're also at uh, punktheology.com and .org, but we're not very, we're not commercial, right, .com, and we're not very organized, .org, so that's why I like to promote the punktheology.net. Today's topic, the concept of being alone. Here in 2020, that has rattled a lot of cages of being, you know? What does it mean to be alone I can't remember another time in history where we've been locked down or shut in like we have recently. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. What what, what does all that have to do with existing, being a person and living a life? Aloneness. Are we just alone? My name is Rasha, your host. Soon we'll be joined by Chuck, Steve, and Derek. Punk Theology, again, .net. And this bumper is by Punk Rock Opera. So, uh, Steve has been influenced intellectually, spiritually recently, and we're not trying to get you to listen to other people's podcasts, but listen to other people's podcasts. Go ahead. We don't care what you (laughs) This, This is a punk rock show. Kind of. Um, so what, what, what's been, uh, rattling around in you, Steve, as you're, as you're reading this, or as you're listening, it goes back, it goes back a couple of years, just trying to understand why I do what I do, why I feel the way I feel and what are my triggers? Why are my triggers? Um, 
Derek and I chat a little bit about this, about why am I so concerned about what people think about me and mm -hmm. what that stops? And where would I be today if I weren't afraid of what people would think if I if I failed? And uh, this guy I'm, I'm following on podcasts, he's out of Allender Center, uh, has a practice in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. And he talks about attachment wounds, how we were, how, how our influences, let me read that first thing that I put up today. Our what wounds? Well, I didn't catch that. Attachment wounds. Attachment wounds. Yeah, from that first year or two of your life. So he puts up a thing that says, he says, I put up on Instagram, it says, when I speak of your story, I mean your life experiences, which simply means your brain. With the exception of the genes that were passed on to you, your brain is a function entirely of the experiences you've had in life. And that gets kind of, that gets kind of scary when you're not really aware of those experiences. And that's what he's trying to get you to do is just to delve back into that. I think you've done that a little bit, Derek, with your, with your um, people, right? Yeah. But yeah. Those, uh, integration, right? Fucking hate that word. Why? Why? Because you're assuming that it, I'm broken. We're all kind of broken. I, I I like broken. I'm I'm finding different pieces <laughs> every day. I, I'm a shattered soul that's uh, kind of bringing all my shit together. I don't know if I'll ever get it all together, but I don't if know. I'm, if I'm not broken, then I'm a really fucked up version of normal. There you go. But I think I get what you're... What if, the, what if normal is just a perceived notion? Like, it's it doesn't exist. It's the... You're not broken. Um, it's just this idea that is better than what you really are. Because some other person has put their views and you have now... But, you know, they gave you views and you now hold them as truths in your house of cards of bullshit. Probably true. It reminds me of the definition of beauty. Like I heard, a, I think it's a theologian or something that said that a great definition of beauty is when, when a thing is, is 100% itself in full view. Right. What, when a, whether it's a person or a, a mountain or a, even a, an old house that's falling apart, right? There's beauty to something when you can see it's whole. And I think that's maybe some of what you're touching on, Chuck. Like, just because life isn't perfect doesn't mean you're not normal. Maybe, but it's, I mean, it's still on the same language of life isn't perfect. Like, maybe it is. Maybe this is perfect. Again, we just have some fucked up reality that my, like, so just for me, as an example, my parents were really, really horrible people. And I hold some of their bullshit ideas as truths that aren't even close to being true i mean it's just a bunch of crap 
and it's those emotional attachments that maybe Steve you're wrestling with or, or touching on is the, the awareness of that kind of education emotionally, like how you grew up to how you were programmed to feel almost. You know, I was programmed not to feel or yeah. at least not to express it. And that's one of the things is I'm realizing is that, you know, I get bullied at school or I get bullied in the neighborhood or you name it and then come home and the remnants of that would, would act out in my uh, temper, my smart mouth um, coming out of pain and my parents never asking what's going on. That's not you. All right. You know, they just said, don't do that. Don't be that way. Behavior well, I was stuff. that way. And that's what I said. What I'm realizing is that a lot of that emotion has just been stuffed. And it would just explode when it finally released. Mm. I, I, tried, I tried to earn my dad's approval by baseball. Baseball was the one thing we had in common. My dad couldn't play, but he wanted me to play. And whenever I did well, made him proud... I got all kinds of allocates. I was, I felt that you feel that, that approval, that feel good moment. Well, the problem was when I struck out, I realized it wasn't going to get that or if I fouled out. So I would slam the bat down. I would scream at the ref, all of that. And it was never, okay, let's talk about that reaction. That was a little over the top from just not hitting a baseball. Well, I never got that. You know, whatever those feelings were, just keep them there. That's that's you. And I think, you know, like Russ, you and I were talking before, is I think my dad was really uncomfortable with his own emotions. And I think my mom was uncomfortable, but my dad was uncomfortable. So they never pursued my heart. Or or wanted to know why. I mean, it's like a generational thing, too. I kind of wonder. Yeah. And again, it's not blaming is or naming is not blaming. Because if my kids could blame when they named, oh man, I'd be, sh- I'd be shot. But that's one of the things we've been talking about. And I apologize to both of them because I said, there's a lot of times they'd come home and I know they'd had it rough at school. Sarah was my youngest. She was threatened to be jumped at Everett High School about once a week by some of the gang g- gals down there. And fortunately she had a couple other tougher girls that were in her corner. And I just ignored it because I didn't want to deal with her. I couldn't deal with my emotions. How am I going to deal with somebody else's emotions? Wow. And unfortunately, that that affected the relationship with my wife because I couldn't deal with her relation, her, her emotions. So that's kind of where I'm I'm delving into. Does it have you feeling uh, uh, any more healthier or more yeah. aware or? Yeah, yeah. I am. I'm yeah. able to sit with it. And that's yeah. one thing you guys have told me and helped me with: just sit in that, sit in those feelings. Sit with them. Yeah. Try and dismiss them, or yeah, that's what I've always done. And what's the name of this uh, podcast you're listening to? The place we find ourselves. Adam Young. He interviews. He interviews a lot of. He's interviewed a couple of gals out of uh, the Allender Center. One of the guys that works with them in Colorado. He's from the Allender Center, so they're kind of an offshoot. He knows Stringer. Stringer follows him on Instagram too. Yeah, I think from what I'm feeling is Andrew or Adam Young has got more of where I am 
as far as where Stringer has got some great stuff, but it's not where I not not all of his stuff is where I am. Where Adam Young, almost every podcast he's got like three years of podcasts up, and mm-hmm. every one of them is just like, oh, I got to write that down. I've listened to each. I'm about halfway through the first season, and I've probably listened. See, to each he's other. a Christian guy, right? Like, yeah, but it's not overtly. Right. Not, it doesn't make you. You don't feel like you want to throw up in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I'm hyper vigilant about that right now. Yeah, me too. Even some of Stringer stuff, like you said, I like I like Jay Stringer, but there's some of his stuff that tiptoes on that kind of weird, shamey, you know. Yeah. Not that it, you know, I mean, he tries to avoid shame, but at the same time, there's the philosophy of sinner savior that I'm still, you know. Well, yeah, Adam, Adam Young's got that in there too. Um, I mean, it's just like that's, I guess, part of his DNA. Mm-hmm. But it's not so obs- obs- or um, it do- it doesn't make make you turn me off like a lot of them do. You know, I can still listen to them because that's like when you listen to Dan Allender, you know, he'll bring it in there, but it's more that Vashon Island kind of vibe going. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the center state thing because we're talking about where we are, and something I've been thinking about recently is the way media was in my childhood and I think it started earlier than that but really Disney really was the idea that there are people that do things because they're just evil and the idea that people that you know a lot of things that happen and that go on in life are because people are malicious when it's reality it's mostly that they're lazy and greedy and selfish and while the lazy and greedy and selfish is still important and there it's not nearly, it's not even close to the same thing as, as intentional malicious intent. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I find myself with a lot of people that really buy into the conspiracy theory stuff is they really believe in supervillains. Um, and it's like, I don't, like people are too lazy and greedy to, to do evil for the sake of doing evil. Yeah. It just doesn't. That clear cut black and white good guys and bad guys bullshit. Yeah. And it and it really makes things bad in that, and I've noticed this even recently coming engaging with my wife, is some st- stuff's come up and I've had a lot of hurt and anger towards her and noticed myself starting to paint a narrative where she's doing it to be malicious. And in reality, it's because she doesn't, she's just not aware of it at all. Or there's some subconscious thing going on, but it's not malicious at all. And I'm and I'm wondering how much of that narrative that I grew up with of, of, you know, it, it I think it created a reflex in me that jumps straight into malicious intent and skips over the the top of maybe they're just not that aware. Um, and, and I'm and it's interesting because I'm seeing it now all over the place in other people of you know people with some kind of conflict with somebody else and they come and tell me what they did and it's always the story of like they're just evil it's like like i don't i don't think so man yeah that's i I don't think so that just doesn't that doesn't make like evil for the sake of evil um i mean society just kind of kicks that out like evil for the sake of evil doesn't last very long um with other people like people pick up on that shit really fast 
And, and what was that uh, movie? There was a movie with uh, John Cusack where he plays, I think he plays Hitler. And it sort of follows Hitler's life as, a, as an art student, you know, kind of wanting to, wanting to gain some kind of respect or attention or love for himself and what he can create. And then, you know, finds out that he's a pretty good public speaker and just all these things kind of culminate and you're watching this film and somewhere along the way, you, you start to, it's really strange because you start to feel bad for Hitler. right? Cause when you see his, like everyone loves to hate the fuck out of it. Like he's the devil, right? He's just, he's just another person who, well, and Hitler's always the go-to, right? Because he's the oh, closest yeah. we've ever had to genuine malicious evil. But the thing about Hitler is he really only got to that level of malicious evil kind of later in the war. And that was because he was doing a shit ton of meth. Yeah. Like, just an absolutely absurd amount of meth. Um, and uh, and that'll do that. <laughs> yeah. You start to make weird decisions when you do really large amounts of meth. One of the things that's really helped me with is giving me empathy for others but the flip side is turning that inward is it's giving me some empathy to myself because i am such a hard ass on myself you know i'll say something or do something or think something i go and then the shame comes in and then the shame just overwhelms and yeah. it, it gives you an understanding that you know we are the way we are because of of the of, of how we were those first couple of years I think, I mean, in some of the stuff he's talking about as I'm just putting it to, into effect in my life. And I've talked with some couple of buddies who have had similar uh, bringing upbringings. And then you start to overreact against the way you were brought up to the point that you disavow everything that you were brought up to. And that's one of my struggles. Um, one of the reasons I'm really glad I wasn't raised in the church because I don't have that overwhelming. Yeah. You know, I was the first in my family to start going to church in, in high school. Hmm. But I still have a lot of that from the church. Then, you know, do this, don't do that. You can't do that. Well, don't watch that. You know, and, and I always laugh and I tell people, I said, you know, I never, I never drank until I started going to the vineyard. And I never smoked cigars until I went to Port Gardner. <laughs> now I do both. And they go, really? I go, what kind of church is that? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go there now. That's different. Fun. A better one. A better one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole, you know, I grew up in it and the religion thing really messed with me. But that's something interesting too, Steve, that you brought up was, uh, you know, I keep coming back to some of the stuff that Stringer wrote about, some of the stuff that Seth and his brother talk about is that, that idea that it's not, we're sort of not just beating yourself up, but, but looking for, beating yourself up mm -hmm. you know that it's not always the dopamine that keeps us coming back to the thing we don't want to keep doing but it's the cortisol it's it's the you know like the gamblers at addicts they're not there to win if they were there to win they would have stopped doing it a long time but they're there to lose and they're there to keep feeling that horrible mm -hmm. loss of look at what a fuck up i am look what an idiot or loser i am that's what they're addicted to. That's what keeps them repeating the, you know, unwanted or negative behavior. 
And that's the part, you know, I guess that's where I see the brokenness. I, and that brokenness isn't, isn't necessarily that you, your, your center is broken, but the, it's breaking that ego part of us that, you know, like addicts, when they finally get to the point where like, oh yeah, like I'm kind of out of control, aren't I? Like that's when they can start to heal. But if, when people can't admit that or can't see it, it's a consciousness thing, I think, more than it's a... And I think society really sets most people up to not be safe to see or admit that. Yeah, because that's right. seen as weakness. Yeah. 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 It's it's Yeah, if there's one thing that I think the younger generation is doing so much better than the older generation is just finding permission to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think that's been progressing very well through. Uh, and I think that's a big part of why the older generation ends up getting so horrified by the younger generation is they see a gen people, kids that are willing to just be like, yeah, I fucked up. Like, like, yeah, it was just a mistake. Uh, and that triggers so much trauma in the older generation from their childhood. Um, yeah. I think it's, it may be, be equal parts jealousy and also like a trauma, real genuine trauma response of like, if I said that when I was your age, I would have gotten my ass kicked. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch, but um, yeah, it's. So what's the earliest event in your life that you can remember? I think I was two. It was being at the zoo with my grandma and my mom. Why does that memory pop? I don't know. I never really figured that one out. I have lots of other memories that are more traumatic or more happy, but that one, that one's a very random one that I don't know. I don't have anything real. It was being in the parking lot. And I remember looking across the parking lot and seeing a yellow fire, fire hydrant. And that's it. That's the whole memory. <laughs> How about you, Russ? Earliest memory. I think my, so this is a weird one and it's still a mystery. I've always wanted to seek it out. I think I was around two years old as well. And I remember stepping out on these steps and seeing water and, uh, and it was like, I, I thought it was my grandma's house, but I think she was in real estate for a long time. And I think she might've been showing the house, but my wife and I, we drove by the Rucker mansion and, and that, that porch on that place looks exactly like one of my first memories. Really? I still don't know if that, maybe that was it. Like, I don't did my mom or my grandma show the Rucker mansion and that's why it's stuck in my memory, but, it, but it looks so incredibly familiar. And as soon as you step out, you got Port Gardner's right there, the, you know, the, right. And right. the Navy base and all that. So I don't know, but that's what I do remember. That That's like my earliest memory. Um, what about you, Chuck? Um, mine would be hiding in a grain silo in Idaho. I was ooh, 10, maybe. Oh, no. I don't remember how old I was. Wow. Um, I don't like this question. <laughs> Just yeah. so you know. No, people don't. Yeah. Um, and I've been asked it a lot in therapy and stuff. And 
everybody always wants to pick apart that this memory and it's like guys i you know it's regardless of who you are i don't want to talk about it like it's a no. the, the reason i remember it is i at that point was when i realized that i don't want to live anymore and i think it's hard for me to just even mm-hmm. you know relive that is it hard to say it yeah yeah for me it was i remember being taken to my great grandfather's at the mortuary to see his body in the casket and for god knows only the reason my parents wouldn't let me go to the funeral but they took me to the viewing and there was my grandpa first dead person i'd ever seen you know i was probably three or four wow i don't remember what he looked like or something what's that not a catholic thing no, they were Presbyterian. Wow. I don't know why they did it. Yeah. Wouldn't, let me, go to the, wouldn't let me go to the service. Wow. I remember yeah, that's one of the things that, that Young says in his a lot of his his uh, podcasts yeah. is and a lot of people don't want to don't want to talk about them. But he says that's where the healing happens is when you start to just either write it down like you just did today, Russ, um, audio it. Or share it with somebody. Yeah. But then that's the that's the other dilemma. It's got to be somebody safe. You know? Do we have? You know? You guys are probably the safest group I have. I don't care if it's safe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I do. For for what I was doing, so I was doing, I was doing the audio recording. I'll probably put it on the ASI podcast. And I've had people email and ask, you know, with why I haven't been dealing with that show. But part of it is like what you're talking about, Steve. It's the memories around it. And there's painful stuff. And there's just stuff I don't believe half the stuff I talked about in that show for a lot of years. So talking about where I'm at now, as opposed to the the kind of energy that I had around the topic and where I was. and um, But I, I decided to name it uh, Desire on Demand, you know. To start to flirt with that, again, that idea of, of the loser in us. It's not because people want to say, oh, well, I, you know, I'm addicted to porn because, you know, X, Y, Z or sexual abuse or, or, you know, the dopamine, I hate my life. You know, it's a little hit of pleasure. And, you know, but, but you, it's on demand, right? Uh, Seth talks about that in his book. Like it, it's there because we, demand it to be there you know it doesn't come it's not like it, you know the, the church wants to make it out of some demon right it's this demonic thing that comes no it doesn't you go looking for it right so like no one wants to talk about that so that's kind of where i'm i'm approaching it from and then let's let's move on from there and, and back up from there and that's what i was really thinking on today so it's just my whole story because people are still listening to me talk about how great Marcel church was, you know, back in 2015 or whatever it was, her 13. Yeah. 2015, the church had already closed up. Huh? I don't know. So that's, that's why I started recording that, but yeah, some people are going to be pissed and they already are, you know, cause I'm talking about, you know, I'm rejecting that idea of, Jesus is separate from God, the father, and, you know, all that kind of nonsense. I don't know. 
Well, because I think a lot of people don't want to be, they don't want their, what they've invested most of their life in to be questioned. Because then they'll start questioning it themselves. Yeah. Or not just that, it's the, this is the narrative that I use to hate myself. Mm-hmm. If you take that away, then, uh, then, you know, if Jesus didn't come like a white horse and, a, you know, come and save me. And it's funny how Seth brought that up in his book as well. Is like, Jesus never says that. It's always, your faith has made you well, right? <laughs> He's not, thank God I was here and I saved you from yourself because you're such a horrible piece of garbage. No, he says to people, your faith has made you better. Now go, right? You did this with your faith, not I did this because I'm awesome. That's not the, the way that the narrative reads but i think that's an american thing and maybe it's a european white person thing i don't know but we really want those kind of savior stories we want somebody to we want we want a bad guy right like derek was talking about and then we want the scape the scapegoat and then we want the savior and somewhere in between we are the smart ones who make the decision to choose the savior over the bad guy and then we can judge all the people that choose the bad way. And that makes us feel better as well. Hasn't it always been that way, though, from way back history? Maybe, yeah. Or hasn't what always been that way? What's that? How hasn't what always been that way? Wanting a bad guy and a savior? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that was, John and I have been talking about this a lot. It's one of the most powerful and the hardest thing to get my head around from my very first mushroom trip was the realization that it's just me. And it told me in a way that I couldn't keep sloughing off anymore. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I realized how much of the structure of society and especially Christianity is set up try and soothe that and keep that from from biting um but really like like a lot of those answers of the real significant problems we're facing right now in our society and our culture i think could be solved if more people just realize like look it's just me i'm responsible for me nobody's coming right right like 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 i've got to the decisions that i make or lasting there's I don't get to be the victim and there's nobody coming to save me from this perceived nightmare um it's just me in my own head uh and I'm responsible for me uh and that's uh not that's really 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 hard and I understand why uh Honestly, like I understand the privilege of the life that I lead that allows me to even be able to, to dive into that. Because I think if your life is really, really hard, it's almost impossible to, to be able to lean into that and accept that or even explore it or even hold it, even to be able to hold it for more than a second, I think is a, is a real struggle. Uh, uh, and I don't, yeah, I don't, it's hard to talk about without offending people. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Without... Sorry, Ruth. 
<laughs> Why do you need to repeat that? It's it's hard to to what? It's hard to talk about without offending people. Mm. Uh, it tends to come off as arrogant, I think, or like I have answers that other people don't. Right. Um, but I have found like there's a real significant shift. Like I feel like a whole bunch of stuff broke loose when I started to lean into that because it felt like so much of my life was trying to corporately lift up this idea that there was, that there was anything other than me in my own head. Um, and, uh, and if you can, again, it's the sit with it exercise. If you can learn to just sit with it and relax and, and learn to be okay with the, the idea that maybe it's just me. And that's what I'd say to most Christians, like, okay, okay. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not just you. Maybe it's just, but why does the idea of, Hey, maybe it's just you absolutely trigger every single alarm in your head to the point that you can't even hold on to that for a second without freaking out. Like, shouldn't that be a little concerning? Yeah. Like there may not be anything more terrifying that you tell to someone with a religious worldview than, Hey, it's just you in your head. Right. Isn't that the ultimate fear? So maybe that should be explored um, because yeah. it, because you end up with such an intense, brutal, triggering fear response with the idea that maybe it's just you in your head. And I don't even have to say that it is just you in your head, but just just sit in the idea for a moment that it's just you in your head. Most people can't do it. Mm. Uh, and that, and and that makes me look around and wonder, well, maybe that's just why religion exists because that concept is so scary that we're willing to make up pretty much anything in order to soothe that. I don't know. It's well, just the thought. Doesn't government then slip into that position um, of something wanting to rescue me? That's why we yeah. voted for the guy who's, yeah, that, that, that's the campaign promises, right? Like, I yeah save you from from yeah i think i mean it's not just it's not just religion it's 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 every person that sets themselves up as an authority to make decisions Mm -hmm. which does have to happen and people do have to make decisions but it's very easy to take it from uh this is the best thing for society and just to slip it one notch over into i'll just make all the decisions for you and i'm here to save you yeah yeah. So and yeah, so it's not just religion; it's it's pretty much all of society. Yeah, because there's such an easy position to assume the victim role. Yeah, and, and that's, that's I don't have to do anything because if I, I mean, don't, then, then somebody will come in and, and help me. Yeah, victimhood's really one of the most powerful societal role uh, things that you can get, right? Right. Like, right. like, yeah, like it's amazing again myself and watching my own relationship with my marriage and watching a lot of our friends issues with their marriage that they're having because right now is a terrible time for a marriage like it's just a constant scramble for victimhood like that's the entire like if if you know if i can figure learn to set aside my own victimhood the conversation goes so much better and we actually start talking about things that matter but so much of relational strife is people spitting and spatting back and forth and wrestling over who gets to be the victim. So wouldn't that be reacting out of a feeling or an emotion that you're not willing to look at another's emotion? Again, it comes down to that. What if 
it's was that there was a demotivator that I saw that was really good. Like, what if the common link between you and all your breaking broken relationships is you, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. nobody and and people will tie themselves into miserable little knots of bitterness and fury before they have a second of maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Right. And like, like you can watch this over and over and over and over again uh, of like, you know, that's basically what a therapist's job is. Yeah. Is to get someone comfortable with the fact that, Hey, maybe it's you. And and maybe you actually have a lot more control over this than you are willing to look at too. Like maybe you, there are things that you can be doing to improve this. Um, yeah, and let's just spend a couple of moments exploring the idea. What if it is just you in your head? Because that's the other thing that, that uh, save the savior ideal and the victim ideal does is it gives you permission to not work anymore. Right. It, it activates you to be as lazy as you possibly can. Yeah. Like I have permission now yeah. to not do anything ever. Right. And, uh, and, and I yeah. think, you know, I think in the conflicts too, it's, can you sit in a room with someone in their pain? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of us, you know, myself included is <clears throat> I'm very uncomfortable and I'm really starting to work on this. I was talking last week with a customer and she goes, did I tell you my husband tried to commit suicide? And I go, no. And she goes, yeah, he, back in March, April, May, sometime, he went out in the garage in the middle of the night and cut his throat. And she says, I woke up, he was gone. I went out and found him. And I was uncomfortable in that moment. But what I'm really working on is sitting in that moment because she felt that she felt safe enough with me to say that. Yeah, that's that Dan Hazen availability and vulnerability piece. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so especially in that moment where you're in a weird, like, semi-professional setting or something yep. like that, yep. but it's yep. like, okay, it, but it doesn't, it shouldn't matter, right? Right. Like, and again, that's that's that ideal to look work for. And right. in that moment, you know, I've been in that plenty of times, and I struggle with my own desire for victimhood and desire for a savior to get me yep. out of it. Yep. Yep. And really if I was as good a person in my head as I thought I was, I'd find the space to make myself available and vulnerable enough. Cause that's what she's asking for is mm-hmm. vulnerability mm-hmm. from you as well as availability to just give her permission to feel the weight of that for even, even for a couple of seconds. Yeah. And that's what it is. I mean, I encouraged her. I said, have you grieved this? Have you grieved that moment? She goes, Oh, I've cried. And I said, no, have you said in your grieving? And then I said, here's the other thing is I would, cause she got, every time she goes out in the garage, she's going to see that spot. She's going to remember where that was. And I said, and, and then start writing those thoughts down. And I don't care what it is. It's funny you bring up the grieving thing. Cause I've been thinking a lot more about it and, and really watching people that are not doing well grieving and people that are doing well grieving. Like it really is grieving is, is understanding the truth of the situation. Uh-huh. extrapolating and realizing what all those implications are going to be for the future. And in, in as close to the truth as you can get. Right. And just sitting there until that, until, and sitting with it to the point where the intensity of that pain starts to die down. 
Yeah. You feel it. You let yourself feel it, first of all, because that's what we try and block, right? Grieving yeah. is really just acceptance. It's, yeah. it's, it's acceptance of something that's really, really, really difficult. Well, because we feel like if we open that can of worms, we are never coming back. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. And we might not. And and if you don't open uncover, if you don't open that can of worms, it'll eat you from the inside yep. and you'll never come back exactly. to the idea. Yeah. Exactly. One of the things that I'm really working through in this is grieving my childhood. Yeah. Um, I am who I am because of the childhood. And what difference, where would I be? What would I be doing? Um, it wouldn't be what I'm doing. I yeah. know. Would I be in Washington State? I don't know. You know, you can go the whole predestination. You know, God ordained my steps. Who knows? Um, but that is what I'm doing is grieving my past. It's grieving. Yeah. If, if, if I had had a parent that cared enough to sit with me and pursue my heart and ask me on what's going on. And I've, I was talking with my youngest yesterday. She came over to watch the Hawks game with us. And that's one of the things, because I know they came home. They had brutal days and I was too wrapped in my own shit to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And even my wife, you know, married to me for 40 years. She's had stuff that I just was so enamored and so immersed in my own pity that I didn't take the time. And that's, that's my, that's what I'm grieving is the many years. That's the beauty of the idea of the Jewish idea of sitting Shabbos. Right. Explain that. Yeah. What's that? It's that two weeks that you take after someone dies and you're just there for the person. The community comes in and they don't really talk much. The idea isn't that you're trying and, and you don't talk much because you're trying to, protect them from your own idealistic lies. Cause that's not what someone like the worst thing you can do to someone that's just had something tragic to them happen to them is lie to them about how things are going to be okay. Yeah. Cause they instantly know that that's a lie. And then, and so that's an instantaneous breaking of trust. Um, and, and they also know that you're doing that because you're trying to find an exit. Yep. Right. Yep. Like you're like, okay, you're, I'm going to choose in this moment to believe that you're going to be fine because this is really uncomfortable for me and I'm going to bail. Right. So, and really what that way you should do again is that availability and vulnerability thing is I'm going to be sitting here while you untangle all the horrible implications of what just happens in your head. And I'm going to let give you space to talk about it. And I'm mostly going to be like, yeah, that's probably, that's probably accurate. Yeah. Or, you know, or if my idea, my, I'm just sitting here reflecting the truth back to you. And if you start to take it to a really crazy scenario, go, no, I don't know if that's true, but, but trying to get them as close to the truth as possible and leaving space so they can just sit there. Um, Cause it's, it's such a painful process. You usually need somebody else there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you, and I think you need somebody with you that has walked through that. Right. Yes. Because otherwise, you know, you're on your own. And yeah. Then, and you're in the and that's, Well, the, and then this, the difficulty then becomes if you if you find someone that is that can sit with you in that, then there's that false security that you're feeling with that person that's only there because they're sitting in that room with you. And if you got somebody that's listening to you, that's why I think bartenders, you know, have such one way relationships. Yeah. Because they're sitting in that bar listening to some guy pour a sob story out. Yeah. I think good therapists, though, are people that have been through it 
and are doing it because they've healed, you know, and want to be that listening ear, you know, or voice of truth for other people that, you know, I mean, I felt some of that in the beginning doing the, the other podcast and then from a Christian perspective. And then I realized that over time that most Christians are not interested in healing whatsoever. No. <laughs> you know, well, it was a harsh realization. They're into Christianity because Jesus did all the healing for them so that they, yeah. that they don't have to do any of their own. Exactly. So where, I, where I come out of that with is don't believing that it's real because I can't get my hopes up that it would be real. Does that make sense? What, uh, what, what being real? What do you mean? healing mm. you know um it's interesting because i know that elder center all of their guys when they're going through that call or through the school have to be in therapy mm-hmm. because they've got to work through it there's a there's a story class coming up in april at 700 dollars. it's nine days and it's all online it's all virtual which i'm really i'm gonna i'm really leaning to taking it so you'll be in a virtual um, it'll be like this. It'll be Zoom meetings, and you'll have Zoom classes, but you'll also have Zoom small groups. Just learning how to explore your story. Mm. But that's where my story is because I don't want to get my hopes up with with because I've had my hopes in the past over different things dashed. People mm-hmm. saying things, people quote prophesying over me saying things, and. I think that was what the first episode of this podcast was about, or maybe the no, I think it was the third episode. It was dealing with your shit, and it was that idea of like, I think it was Chuck that originally brought it up, of like, there's healing and then there's healing, and I want magic Jesus healing. I don't want the partial <laughs> shitty scarred over healing that I have to work for. Yeah, um, that makes me don't vulnerable. Want to sit in that crap. Yeah. I don't want the healing that makes me vulnerable. And yeah. Because you don't, you know, and also I, for me, I don't know what skeletons are back there. You know, I don't know what I'm going to find when I open that closet door. Yep. Oh, God. You're kidding me. I've opened some of those doors. It's, it's fucking terrible. No, I can imagine. I mean, I can't, I can only imagine. I can't, I, I don't understand it. But going back to what Chuck said, and there's a song that Amanda Palmer. Uh, in my mind, she has this song, and yeah, she, that's a good one. I love that song, mm-hmm. and it and it talks about how you know maybe there's this part of me that you know wants to be the person I am right now, right, and that's okay. Just the person I am right now in this moment, and I think that's the being present. That's a huge thing today. It's a huge thing with me. It's not just out there is healing, but what about the present moment? Like just this moment with you guys is, is, is amazing that I'm even here having this conversation with guys I trust. And like you're saying, Steve, the safe people. And like you mentioned earlier, Derek, like that, that idea that there's just some people you can't do this with you know they're gonna they're so afraid it's like that that, that matrix analogy where he, he's saying there's so there's so many people that are so dependent on the system that they will die to defend it yep right if you try to take them out of it yeah they will they'll die they just can't yeah they, i was called a blasphemer 
for, on the other podcast just for saying, what if Jesus already saved you? What if that's already done and finished? It was done like thousands of years ago. And well, you, that, means, that means that pastors don't have that valuable of a job, Russ. Yep. Yeah. You can't take, that's taking down the institution, Russ. That's threatening yeah. paychecks. Think of the economy, Russ. Yeah. Think of the economy that would blow up yeah. if, if we realized that maybe, yeah, maybe you're already saved and you don't have to work for it. Are you going to make your eyes water, Chuck? What's that? Are you going to go make your eyes water? Yeah. I thought you were going to go take a dump. Yeah, I have to go plug my computer in. Oh, it's getting red light flashing. I gotta get my kids to bed and shit. Yeah. So hey, let's let's land the pl- land the plane on this. This is uh this is those lyrics. I had to look this up. Um, <laughs> uh I still have this tattoo to get that says I'm living in the moment. That's where she's, you know, she's dying. Um, and it's funny how I imagined that I could win this fight. But maybe it isn't all that funny that I've been fighting all my life. Maybe I have to think it's funny if I want to live before I die. And maybe it's funniest of all to think I'll die before I actually see that I am exactly the person that I want to be. And then it says, fuck yes, I'm exactly the person that I want to be right now right yeah that's that's a heavy thought personal acceptance not popular no well i'm not who i want to be i want to be better that's that's who you want to be that's where you're at russ is cutting out again (laughs) that's where you're at that's that's who you want to be right where you're at does that make sense steve yeah well say it again i you cut out. Oh, just to, to say that you're that desire for that is who you are and who you want to be right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. How long has that been going on? That's a question. I'm just, that's a curious last couple question. couple months. Okay. Probably, it's, it's intensifying the last month. Mm. It's really interesting because as I get, I peel back a layer or uh, I feel like I'm ready for something and then another direction will go like this. And, and uh, Adam Young refers to Bessel van der Kork all the time. A lot of his stuff, uh, body keeps the score guy. Uh-huh. He just refers a lot of his stuff is that, um, that he refers, he, he quotes a lot of his stuff. So when you get to a point, then another uh, resource will be available. That's what's really weird. I'll finish a book or I'll finish a, a podcast or whatever. And then there's another one like this thing with, with Adam Young could probably take me. And there's a couple of books he refers to a couple of authors he refers to in the book or in his podcast that I'll, I've already put on my Kindle list as my wish list. Yeah. So basically it's just trying to become more a aware of, 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 of my feelings, my surroundings. You know, I walk on the waterfront on the weekends being aware of that. I'm just enjoying those moments. I'm enjoying that right now. The coldness of those mornings, the smells, the sounds, the quiet. In the past, I would never be aware of that. You know, even being aware of a decent, of a really nice meal, even being aware of just a regular meal, you know, not just eating it to fill, but to just eat it and then enjoy it. Uh, I've 
for one of the things I'm, I'm trying to do. But yeah, that's probably, you're probably right there, Russ. I don't think you're trying to do it. I think you're doing it. The fact that you said it means you're, you're doing it and you're being that person. It seemed like you bristled up against that lyric a little bit. Yeah. I'm exactly the person I want to be today, you know? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, me too. When I first heard that song, I did. I guess now I'm more of an accepting place where I'm like... Who's that by? It's by Amanda Palmer. It's called In My Mind. The song's called In My Mind. Um, but yeah, sure, there's things I want to improve on. and the, you know, but, but all of that, even the wanting, the desire for improvement, it's part of where I'm at. But I also know that there's a part of me that tends to beat myself up. I can beat the shit out of myself. And I know oh, yeah. that that part of me exists and, and I want it there for some sick fucking reason. Um, and, and, and letting that go and just going, I'm, I'm right now. That's one of the ways I think maybe I deal with that little voice that wants to beat the shit out of me. No, today I'm exactly who I want to be. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, like that's a, that's a fuck you in the face of my, inner abusive voice, whether it's my dad or one of my stepfathers or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know what it is, but no, today I'm going to be exactly who I want to be. I don't know for whatever that's pulled up to the terminal. Yeah. So that's why that song touched me, came to mind tonight. All right, guys. Love you guys. Signing off. Help a punk rock robot out. Scratch my itch by hitting that subscribe button. Like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio or wherever you hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project who is responsible for its content.